Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor Fredrickson. And I'm Sam Hoganson. You ready to get started? Let's send it. Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode 22, and it's just Sam and I tonight, just the OGs. So, you know, it hasn't been just us two, I feel like, in a while. We had Sapardo on the last episode. We have had Justin on a lot of Seahawks episodes recently, but just Sam and I tonight, and we're going to be talking some Huskies and some Seahawks updates, uh, specifically on the coordinator front. Both of them made coordinator hires in the last week. Before we get to all that, though, obviously we want to introduce... My, my uh, co-host Sam here, and more importantly, Sam, what are you what are you sipping on tonight? Well, I'm just about to polish off the last of some Jack Daniels, and my wife and I we made our weekly grocery run to Trader Joe's, and I picked up a bottle of blended Scotch whiskey. It's a pretty screaming deal. If you haven't checked it out before, give it a try. It's a full liter bottle, so it's a little bit extra volume in there, and it's gonna ring in right around 10.99 and i think it's a pretty good deal don't let the, the price spirit tax and everything like what was the final price on that though oh, i didn't look at the receipt that closely like the liter tax and stuff it's probably no. uh, liter bottle 10.99 probably talking about like 16 bucks or so probably for yeah full price yeah which isn't probably but i think it's a pretty good deal and don't let the price point scare you if you like scotch whiskey and you like your wallet give it a shot see how it goes connor what are you sipping on i know you're kind of in the same genre because i've seen a glass and an ice ball so what are you working on yeah i'm on the irish train tonight though i got irish whiskey which most people would call like a lesser version of scotch so maybe i'm about on the same level because but i have jameson black barrel so it's a little Ooh. bit of a nicer irish whiskey so it rivals probably like a cheaper scotch i'd say but it's Maybe pretty tasty. It's cheap. <laughs> Pro- it's it's still probably an upgrade from your Trader Joe's blended Scotch whiskey, is my guess. But I wonder. That's what, right. I want to look You're, up what whiskey it actually is because I'm sure it's just white labeled something or other. Sure. Would be my guess. Yeah. But I mean, it's probably yeah, it's probably some big distillery that makes just like a private label off-brand cheap whiskey for Trader Joe's. Is my guess. Yeah, probably. Anyways. Check it out. Pretty good deal. <laughs> I like it. This is also this is also coming from the guy that Jack Daniels is like his favorite drink ever. So yeah, it's good. Also keep that in mind, folks. All it's right. all good, Should man. We... It's all good. It, 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 I mean, it's makes us feel all special, right? And there it goes. There's the last of the bottle. So I will be finishing the Irish whiskey tonight. Well, the way you teed it up didn't really give our listeners total insight. We're going to talk about some good and some not so good. (laughs) (laughs) Some not so so great, Bob. Not so great, Bob. We're going to start with the good stuff and jump into the Seahawks hire for their offensive coordinator. There's actually two hires we'll talk about, but I'll let Connor kind of give the introduction there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this... The search went on for a little longer than I thought it might. I thought they might hire someone within, you know, a week, week and a half or so, like 10 days. Usually that's kind of like how 
I feel like Pete Carroll's done it in the past, but they did a very thorough search, um, which I think is a good thing. Yep. And hired a lot, uh, or sorry, uh, interviewed a lot of candidates, a lot of ex head coaches. I thought that they were like, I thought that's what Pete was possibly looking for. It seemed to be a trend that they were hiring or sorry, they're interviewing. I did it again, interviewing Doug Peterson. And then they were interviewing um, Anthony Lynn. And then yeah. they were interviewing, or at least tied to these people. I don't know how much they interviewed a lot of these guys. I'm sure they at least talked to them. Yeah. Um, Adam Gase was obviously rumored as well. Um, and a bunch of other guys. Uh, I think we talked about it on the last Seahawks episode, um, which I guess was last episode, I think, is when we talked about who we possibly wanted for mm-hmm. the OC. Oh, I get, no, it was two episodes ago with Justin. Yeah. Um, who we wanted to see in the OC position we wanted we wanted specifically someone from the shanahan tree um and you know didn't end up being someone directly underneath kyle shanahan um or a direct descendant of a mike shanahan but um if you look a little deeper and dig a little deeper on who they did choose which his name is shane waldron and he was the passing game coordinator for the Rams the past few years under Sean McVay, who Sean in, in being Sean McVay was a Shanahan disciple. He worked under Kyle Shanahan and under, under Mike Shanahan in Washington in 2016. And before that, I know that he worked with Shane Waldron also was on that staff in Washington in 2016. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of when, um, when McVay and Waldron, met and kind of got some chemistry with each other. And then McVeigh took Waldron with him to, to LA. Um, but anyway, Shane Waldron, he's the guy and that's who they end up hiring and definitely um, an up and coming coach, I think, and an elite offensive mind. And, and there's no doubt about that. The biggest caveat is that he's never been an NFL co- like coordinator before. Um, he's been, or sorry, uh, an offensive coordinator in the NFL, I should say. He's obviously a passing game coordinator, so that's a coordinator of some some sort. But, but he's never called plays. Basically, is the is the sum of it. So, Sam, I want to hear kind of your initial reaction though to that this hire. Um, I kind of gave just like a little bit of a debrief um, about kind of how they came about to this hire, and then we'll kind of go into Shane Waldron's a little bit more in depth in his background, but I want to hear your initial reaction to the hire, obviously not kind of one of your mainstay names that they had been kind of interviewing with or tied to. It was kind of a late name that popped up towards the end of their hiring process. Um, yeah. What, what were your thoughts whenever you heard yeah, the news? I'm, I'm excited about it. It's definitely the, the exact mold of the person that I ultimately wanted the Seahawks to hire here. I know yeah. I was, in that episode, we were going through our favorite candidates. I was really high on Kyle Shanahan's run game coordinator and passing game coordinator. I forget the name of the passing game coordinator, but the run game coordinator was Mike McDaniel. Yeah, it was uh, Mike something. Matt, or other. Matt. Matt. Was it Matt or Mike LaFleur? It was whichever one isn't coaching the Packers. <laughs> yeah. His brother. But yeah, so I, I like getting somebody that's young and hungry, really, you know, has established themselves as an X's and O's kind of guy. And, yeah. you know, will be hungry to take this opportunity to, to play, to call plays and, 
I think you look at the Los Angeles Rams offense under McVay and, you know, the direction of Shane Waldron and the, the mark that he's left down there. That's kind of the offense. You know, I know our buddy Justin's going to be pleased because I'm sure it means we'll yeah. be throwing the ball more. But what I really like about it is the Rams offense is tough to predict. They attack defenses in, you know, multiple formations, pre-snap motion and misdirection running game. So I think he'll bring a lot of different wrinkles to this offense mm -hmm. that frankly we need. And for sure, you know, we'll go into more and more depth into that and what, you know, our hopes are and maybe a couple of our concerns later in the podcast, but off the top, I'm really excited about it again, just, I think getting somebody that's young, obviously a proven X is an O's guy, you know, mm -hmm. Sean McVay is largely regarded as one of the best offensive minds in the game. And I think it's obvious that he had a lot of trust and faith in a guy like Shane Waldron, bringing him along to LA with him. And I'm sure he's learned a lot from McVay through the years. And so I think if he can install some of those elements, some of the more intermediate passing game, just getting a little bit less predictable. I just, with, the offense we trotted out this year there just wasn't a lot the defense had to think about. Like we're either going to pound it inside zone with Chris Carson, or we're going to run a play action and try to bomb it deep to Metcalf. There was not, that is totally an oversimplification. I know, but did you see, uh, did you see, sorry to interrupt. Did you see the, any of that, that clip of yes. the interview between Brandon Marshall and DK Metcalf? Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, what slight shot. Thoughts? I think both, I think, I, I think we it's should a say what he said first. Yeah. So for those, those of you that haven't seen it and it's really easy to look up. Um, it's just, uh, it, what is it called? Brandon Marshall tribune or something like that. Yeah. He, yeah, he's, I, uh, I don't remember if it was that or not, but Brandon Marshall, um, was interviewing DK Metcalf. Um, Brandon Marshall was a former receiver in the NFL and actually played for the Seahawks for like, I think a preseason. I don't think he ended up actually on the team, but anyway. Right. Um, Brandon Marshall posed the question to DK kind of what happened to the Seahawks offense in the second half of the year. And DK essentially went on to say, well, ever since Pete's been here, it's kind of been like, it, it's become well, okay. So he started off, let me back up. He started off by saying, I think we just became too predictable. And then he went on to say that ever since Pete's been here, it's been kind of run, run, take a deep shot, run, run, take a deep shot. And I think you saw a lot of that and it's pretty easy to game plan against if you're that predictable. Um, I did think that it was interesting that he um, was that outwardly spoken about it, I guess usually you see players hold it a little bit closer to the vest. I feel like, especially as someone that is like as young as DK, but I, mean, I was surprised that he said Pete by name and not shot. Yeah. Is the biggest takeaway right. I had was like, for sure. What you saw was Pete Carroll's offense. Yeah. And it didn't seem like he was super hopeful that that was going to change. Right. This was before though, that they had, they had hired, a new offensive coordinator though. I think, I think the interview took place. Yeah. That. 
I don't know if it came out before that, but I think the interview came or took place before then. Yeah. I was hoping that you were going to bring that up or I was going to as well. Cause I do think that was yeah. really interesting. Yeah, and I think with the hire, you know, as long as Waldron is able to kind of implement some of his ideas and his scheme, that will for sure change. I think the Rams are one mm-hmm. of the most unpredictable offenses. I think they attack defenses in many different ways throughout the years. You've seen them win games, throwing the ball with Goff, Cooper cup, Robert Woods. You've seen them win the game on the ground with someone like Todd Gurley this year. Cam Akers had a couple of huge games, obviously namely against us in knocking us out of the playoffs, but mm-hmm. I really like it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of the points that you made and I will bring up that you talked about them passing a lot and they're actually, I mean, the Rams have actually been there. They are a run first scheme though. And by that, I mean, they're an outside zone run scheme. So you see a lot of like off tackle type runs with pulling guards. And then the running back has to basically read if they're going inside or outside of that block. Um, and that's kind of the basis of when what they run a lot of their plays off of. And Shane Waldron is someone who was largely a part of installing a lot of this play action quick game that the Rams use so often that, you know, I mean, the Seahawks defense has been had had trouble dealing with. Let's just say let's just say that over the past few years since Sean McVay's been in been in L.A., yeah. And so, you know, I, I think we've talked about this before is what's what's a good quality in a coach. And that's identifying weaknesses and going to and, and you know, addressing those weaknesses. Right. And what it, we that's something that we talked about with Sark and hiring someone like Pete Kwiatkowski as his defensive coordinator. And I really draw some comparisons to that with Pete Carroll, then hiring someone like Shane Waldron who's given or at least has been part of a, a system that has given him trouble in the past and, you know, sees, sees the potential that that could possibly be for his offense. And he goes and gets that piece. The other thing that I take away from this too, is that we knew that Russell Wilson was going to be a part of this hire. And I was kind of skeptical how much he was actually going to be a part of the hire though. Mm-hmm. But this move screams to me that Russell Wilson was a huge part of this process. Like everything that it? I've read is this, everything that I've read is this is Russell's guy. Like this is the guy that he wanted from the beginning and maybe his na- name was leaked later, mm-hmm. but this is the guy that Russell wanted. Um, just the innovation that he brings to the offense. And like you said, the multiple formations the pre-snap motion, the misdirection, all that stuff that we have been complaining and harping on the Seahawks offense about. I think Russell has identified that that's what the offense needs. And I think Shane Waldron is the perfect guy to install that kind of system in Seattle. So I think it has the most upside of any hire that Pete Carroll has made at the offensive coordinator position. Not yep. that he's made a ton of them, but, um, and I don't think that's like, that shouldn't be like a ground bait breaking statement or a hot take or anything like that. Much, but... No, but, um, but I think it's, it's by far though. I think it's by far the most upside. Um, 
it's also the least experienced coordinator that he's ever that he's ever hired so we'll see how it turns out i mean it, let's talk a little bit of, i guess uh, more about shane waldron kind of his background so he actually started off with bill belichick in new england as an intern that's kind of like when he first got his feet wet in the nfl then he kind of went back to college for a while he was at notre dame for a while um, the only offensive coordinator position he's ever held is for let me look this up just real quick because i Buckingham Brown and Nichols school in 2011. And I heard that offense was pretty damn good. So I'm feeling pretty good about this, this hire. Yeah. Um, got and some also, real thoroughbreds down there. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in all seriousness though, um, spent a couple years at UMass after that. And then, like we said, got hired on as an offensive quality control coach for the Redskins back then. Now, now it's the Washington football team. Um, under the Shanahan's and uh, McVeigh was there as well. So um, got hired on there in 2016. And then, like we said, moved with Sean McVeigh over to LA whenever Sean McVeigh got hired as the head coach of the Rams. Started off as tight ends coach, but the last three years he's been passing game coordinator. And um, kind of, again, like an up and coming mind and anything that Sean McVeigh seems to touch these days. <laughs> as far as people that he's been connected with in the past tend to get opportunities, whether it's be like a Zach Taylor. Um, I feel like there's someone else that recently got a head coach job too, that worked under him. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's, I think it's a good hire though. Um, I guess, did you have anything else to say about like Sh Shane Waldron's background? I mean, I, I think the biggest caveat to all of this is just that he's never called plays but um i don't know if you had anything any other nuggets to bring to the table about shane no i think you got most of it there in terms of recounting his background and i think it's a background like you said you know it's what it lacks in offensive coordinator play calling experience it is a background that should get seahawk nation excited i think the 12 mm -hmm. should be excited for what this guy can bring to the table and hopefully you know breathe a little bit of life into an offense that was struggling didn't look like they're having fun frustrated you know saw potentially the worst from russell wilson down the stretch that we've seen since his rookie season so mm -hmm. i'm really hopeful about it and i guess as a good segue into our next section here let's dive a little bit more into some of the hopes and maybe some of the concerns that we have with the Waldron hire. And I'd be curious just to just start with you. What are the, some, some of the immediate impact items that you would like to see Waldron install into this offense moving into next season? Yeah, I think it's just more unpredictability, which the Rams have been really successful at. Um, they've been a hard team to scheme against from a defensive standpoint because they run a lot of different formations. They have a lot of pre-snap motion. They have a lot of misdirection. Um, and it's all based on that outside run, outside zone running scheme that they have as well. Um, I think they utilize their personnel really well too. One thing that the Rams do really well that I feel like the Hawks did not do well, at least this last year, but have done well in the past is utilize their tight ends a little bit more in the offense. You saw Tyler Higby have a, big year for them and um what's the other there are the Everett Gerald Everett or something like that I think 
is the other tight end that I think he mm-hmm. had a big game against us earlier in the year as well. So they use the tight ends a lot, um, kind of in, in use utilize the middle of the field a little bit more than the Seahawks have, at least in at least than they did in 2020. So I'm I'm hopeful to see some more of that kind of stuff as well because I mean I think we have some weapons at tight end. Will Disley I think is a solid option as a tight end. Um, little biased just because he's a Husky. But I also think someone like Colby Parkinson, who hasn't even seen the field yet, who is yep. a huge, you know, a huge target over the middle. I'm just I'm interested and intrigued to see what Shane Waldron does with that kind of asset. Um, I, th- I think he's going to identify the personnel um, that, and how they can be utilized in unique ways to like best exemplify their skill set. So. I'm excited. I, I think, I think it's a, about as home run of a hire as you can have without it being like the most sexy name, I guess. So um, I'm, I'm really hoping that he brings a lot of those, like, and I, I think he will obviously, but a lot of those misdirection elements and again, kind of like the, the utilizing personnel in, in the best way. What are some of the things that you're looking for and like, I guess more, more specifically, what, um, what are you excited about him bringing to the Seahawks? Yeah, I agree with all the points that you've made. Uh, so I won't just, you know, sound like a broken record here and just repeat everything you said, but totally agree with everything that you mentioned. I think the other element that I'm looking for out of him plays off of the fact that we know that Russell Wilson had his hand in this hire as well. Yeah. And I think it plays well off of your last point, just around him applying schemes and plays to the personnel that he has. And you've seen him do that in the past under Sean McVay and really, you know, pinpointing some personnel advantages against opponents mm-hmm. and week in, week out, you know, is it going to be Robert Woods to go off? Is it going to be Cooper cup that goes off? Is it going to be, you know, crazy as it sounds, Jared Goff using his legs to get out there a little bit. (laughs) Is it going to be Todd Gurley? So I think he's going to do a lot of that. And what I'm specifically looking for is I want an offensive coordinator to finally embrace Russell Wilson's athleticism. I feel like we have had offensive coordinators that I'm saying this sarcastically, but I feel like our previous offensive coordinators Felt like if they called certain plays, Russell Wilson would grow six inches and stand in the pocket and just throw the ball all day. Like mm-hmm. we have lost any element of him as a running threat. And I don't want him to be Lamar Jackson. I don't want him to rely on his legs, but to turn your turn a blind eye to an extremely valuable asset, which are Russell Wilson's legs. I think has been foolish and I'm all for protecting him, his health, you know, continue to, you know, he is the franchise. We're paying him $35 million a year or whatever it is. Like you want him to be there on Sundays and he has been, he hasn't missed a game since he started. And I don't want that to ever change, but Talk about keeping the defense on their heels. Where's the read option threat of Russell keeping it? Like I've 
talked about this in an episode before too. Like we just have not seen that recently. And I think Russell Wilson is, you know, pound for pound, one of the most athletic guys in the league. And we don't utilize that. We utilize him like a pocket passer more often than not. And Mm -hmm. I would love to see him kind of, you know, rejuvenate some of that part of Russell Wilson's game. I think that helps keep the defense on their heels. I think that helps, you know, Russell get into a rhythm a little bit more and just creates explosive plays. Russell's great at that. And he's also shown that he's great about taking care of himself and not taking big hits, sliding, getting out of bounds. He's a really smart run. One of the probably the smartest runner of the ball at the quarterback position that I've ever seen in terms of both being proficient at actually picking up yards and being a threat, but also not taking unnecessary damage from hits. And so I would love him to embrace Russell Wilson's athleticism a bit more. So if I'm really kind of like peeling back the layers and looking for one very specific thing, I would like to see that in next year's team and just kind of, you know, quote unquote, let Russ cook, not only with his arm, but with his legs as well. Yeah, building off your point, Sam, it's not just the fact that he's a threat to run the ball, but also I love the fact that Waldron comes from a system and implements a system where there's a lot of play action, which Russell, Russell Wilson's really good at. And he gets his quarterbacks in space too. Like you see a lot of not only bootlegs, but just like movement from the quarterback in general to get them in a better space than kind of tight in a pocket. Right. And Russell's, he may, he may never admit this, but he's not a pure pocket passer, like you said. Like he's, that's just not where he's at his best, right? I mean, he can right. do that, but that's not where he's at his best. And I think we saw him kind of handcuffed from a, like not only from a play calling standpoint, but from like, like you could see him physically handcuffed because he's just kind of like stuck in the pocket mm-hmm. on, on some plays. And that pocket doesn't usually last very long with the offensive line that we've had. So, right. um, so I think, yeah, I mean, getting, getting Russell out outside the pocket or in a part of the pocket that has a little bit more space, like just moving him around in different areas and changing that protection, I think is something that you've seen from the Rams offense that I think Waldron, um, could incorporate into into the Seahawks offense and bring that as well. So I think that's a good point. Just utilizing his, his athletic ability in that way. Yeah. So I think, I mean, again, kind of the theme of the whole conversation here is the general feeling is for sure excitement. I think he's, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the trademarks of McVeigh and obviously Shane Waldron being a McVeigh disciple, you have to, you know, kind of have, faith at this point that the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree in this instance. And the fact that they have the open mind and their willingness to adapt to personnel to particular week in week out matchups with opposing teams and, you know, annual, you know, and adapt to the new team each year, what kind of players you have. And that's just something that we haven't seen. So I think, 
you know, that open-mindedness and, you know, willingness to adapt to different situations, different players, different scenarios is something that I think would be a very welcomed, you know, breath of fresh air. And so I think we've hit a lot of, of the positives, I guess. I'd be curious to get what are some of your concerns off the top? Yeah, I mean, I think the most obvious one is just the fact that he's never called plays in the NFL before. So I think the biggest worry that you have is just there's two things that I worry about and uh, when it comes to that. And the first being just how does he handle the logistics of the play calling process and how does he handle uh, in-game situations and game management moments like towards the end of games or towards the end of halves or, you know, two minute drives, all that kinds of stuff. Like how does he deal with that kind of, you know, logistical process. Um, I think I'm not super concerned about it, I would say, just because I, th- I think he's had an extensive enough background in an offensive and he has an, a, an elite offensive mind, like enough that he can overcome any kind of shortfallings that that would come. But I think there's going to be some headache decisions yeah. and definitely some learning moments for him probably. Um, he did call plays for the Rams in the preseason of the 2019 season. Um, and it, for whatever that's worth. I mean, so, I mean, he's, he, he's like kind of gone through practices of like that logistical process before, mm-hmm. um, even if it's just in a preseason game. And I think they did pretty well is what I've, what I've read. I, I mean, it's preseason, so who the hell cares really, but. And I mean, um, he's, he's young and he's inexperienced right. quote unquote, but like, he is also 41. He's not like sure. he's Yeah, he's been around the game for a while. So yeah. I think he's been around the game long enough where again to your point, there might be a little bit of rust and a little bit of, you know, finding his way to get his feet on the ground in some of the logistical mm-hmm. areas, but you'd have to think somebody that's been playing ball that long or coaching and being around football for that long, you know. Yeah. That's something that you just kind of he's been close enough to know what those motions look like. And Mm -hmm. I think he'll be able to handle that well. Yeah. And this doesn't really reflect upon him as much as it does. Pete Carroll is my other concern is just like, does something go awry early in the season and Pete starts meddling too much or, you know, if Shane Waldron becomes too much of a yes man, during the season and we don't see this type of innovative offense or at least like the thing that I want to see the most is all the pre-snap stuff like get your get your players in less predictable situations and get them in situations that like get DK in on the slot and don't have him up against their best corner you know make them adjust to that make the defense adjust to you you know yeah so I think that he has to bring that right but if Pete meddles too much or something and thinks that the offense is getting too creative and need to get more simplified and just run the ball, blah, 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 control clock. I think that's where um, you could have some concerns and some legitimate concerns. I'm more concerned about something like that happening, I think, than the whole logistical play calling issue that we just discussed. So I don't, I, I have faith. I don't think that's going to happen. I think, um, I mean, it could happen to a degree, I guess. Like, it probably will happen to a degree, but I don't think it's going to be the, like, shortfall of next season is my guess. Yeah. 
I think that is my biggest concern Yeah, is how involved will Pete Carroll be with the offense? Mm-hmm. If I had it my way, I would have him involved zero, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> if I had it my way and if I were Pete Carroll, I'd be like, all right, Shane, like this is your big shot. We have faith in you. You and Russell Wilson run the offense. Like I want the two right. of you to form – a super type relationship mm-hmm. and, you know, figure it out the two of you mm-hmm. and run it. And I, I think if that were to be the case, we'll be looking at a very successful offense in 2021, because I think Russell's a vet now he's been around a couple of offensive coordinators. He obviously has a very strong inclination on what he thinks he's good at personally he knows the personnel all of the guys look to Russell as the leader like I think he has a really good pulse on this team and I think it's his time to step into that next echelon of great quarterbacking where not only is he the quarterback but in a lot of ways he is a coach and he has his footprint stamped on the offense and I think Part of that obviously was indicated in him being involved in the hiring process of the offensive coordinator. And I'd like that to, you know, continue on into the season in terms of scheming, gameplay, you know, calls in the moment, audibles. I would like to see the two of them form a partnership and run the offense in tandem and let Pete Carroll just like manage the overall team. Hmm. And if, Pete wants to meddle with either side of the ball. Keep him on the defense. Pete Carroll's a damn good defensive mind yep. and just pay out of the offense. Cause that has not gone well when we've, you know, heard no. rumors that to be the case. So that's my biggest concern, especially, you know, doubling down on it, you know, relatively unproven from a play calling game management perspective. You just got to hope that Pete Carroll trusts the person that he hires and, you mm-hmm. know, is going to let him do the gig, but also kind of knowing what we know about Pete, like a little bit hard to believe that that's going to be the case and that he's not going to put some level of training wheels on him early on. Yeah. And, you know, I'd hate to see that. I think it's realistic and entirely possible that it could happen, but that is, by far and away my number one concern because I don't think Pete Carroll is an offensive guy. So I don't want him to have too much to say on what goes on that side of the ball. Yeah. Well, if all goes well, we could be looking at the successor to Pete Carroll as possibly the next head coach of the Seahawks. So, yeah, I mean, that's obviously we're talking about this before he's even called a play for the Seahawks. So, I mean, who knows what's going to happen, but he seems to be on that trajectory that Shane Waldron I'm, I'm talking about now that I think yeah. he's, I think he's one day probably going to be a head coach. He seems to have the mind for it. He seems to have the leadership traits for it. Um, I've seen videos of him working with like quarterback camps and stuff like that. And he just has kind of that, um, just that personality and that character for that kind of position. So, you know, and I mean, if things go well and he ends up in that position, I think Seahawks fans would be happy with 
that trajectory. So we'll see what happens. But I think we'd be remiss not to also mention the other hire that came from the Rams. We're just poaching Rams uh, coaches, you know. And their former offensive line coach, Andy Dickerson, is also coming with Shane Waldron to be our run game coordinator. So we talked about, um, you know, in our kind of offseason episode that the run game is something that Pete Carroll emphasizes and is definitely going to be a part of this offense next year and will be kind of the focal point of the offense that everything else builds around. And Andy Dickerson is a guy that has a lot of background in run game, offensive line interaction, and specifically zone running scheme. Um, so Tom Cable, but better, yeah. is kind of how I think of this guy. Younger. Yeah, younger. Um, and it, it seems like a really fucking cool guy, too. Like, it, it's, it looks like a guy that I would want to have a fucking beer with. So... If there's anything else, you know, like if nothing else, at least we have that as our, our as our running game coordinator, a guy that you'd want to have a beer with. But in all in all seriousness, he was a guy that actually was um, he predated Sean McVay in his tenure in L.A. He was actually under Jeff Fisher um, and was hired in 2012. So he's been with the Rams for a number of years. Um, and spent some time with the Jets and the Browns before that. Um, he was college teammates with Shane Waldron. Oh, really? So that I didn't was know like, that. Yeah, that was kind of the little like fun nugget that that I found as well. So um, they you obviously have a team. They played on Tufts University. I don't oh, know where okay. they're. I don't know where where that is, but pretty sure it's in Massachusetts. Okay. That would make sense because I know Shane Waldron w- worked at UMass for yeah. a little bit. So, um, so Dickerson comes in and replaces Brennan Carroll, who got hired on as the OC at Arizona under Jed Fish. So, um, I think this is this is a proven commodity here. I think that's it's a great guy to poach from the Rams as well. Um, I think this is a great tandem to be leading this offense and this scheme and installing this new way of um you know offensive thinking hopefully for for the seahawks and less predictability in in their offense um i think that probably mostly wraps up most of probably what we had to say about this oc hire and kind of the seahawks offense in the offseason in general um obviously there's other other um topics that we're going to be discussing in the offseason you know i mean is Jamal Adams going to get going to get paid? Um, there's free agency kind of around the corner. Are we going to re-sign Chris Carson? Are we going to re-sign Shaquille Griffin? There's a bunch of questions to be answered Seahawks-wise over you know the next couple months here, um, and we'll find out we'll find out all that stuff you know in the coming weeks probably. But we do you know Sam teased at the beginning. We have some good and some bad. And it is, we, we, we hit you with the good news first, folks. So hopefully you stick around for the bad. But the Huskies made their DC choice. And I think we talked about it, Sam, that there was one thing that we didn't want this Husky, the, Jimmy Lake specifically, to do for this defensive coordinator hire. Who'd we hire? 
Bob fucking Gregory, man. <laughs> it was literally worst case scenario. I I didn't have a headache until just now. Like I was feeling oh. okay. Um yeah, Bob Gregory. Bob fucking Gregory. Not great Bob is your new defensive coordinator for the oh. Washington Huskies. Um yeah. underwhelmed would be an understatement from me. Yeah. Sam, you have gone lengths about Bob Gregory's struggles let's just say um especially from a personnel standpoint yeah. the past couple years um a coach that's well seasoned obviously but definitely has not been we haven't seen the best of of uh bob gregory over the last couple years so what were your initial thoughts when you read read a about this hire well i was pretty pissed first of all <laughs> uh not pleased well i think it's entirely possible that this hire could still work out yep. because bob gregory i think jimmy lake looked at this as there were two paths he could take he could hire the defensive coordinator externally and risk blowing up the defensive staff that he has had a huge hand in building, namely hiring now the DB coaches, Will Harris and Terrence Brown. He had a you know heavy hand in choosing those two. So I think he had one was hire externally, risk blowing up the continuity of the coaching staff or two promote from within and maintain that continuity. And I think both of us felt like the likely scenario, the likely path he would take was going to be the latter and hiring, promoting within. But we didn't think it was going to be Bob Gregory. Last year, the no. co-defensive coordinator was the Kaika Malloy, our defensive line coach. Mm -hmm. who you know is for sure a less proven defensive coordinator but someone who has been a hot name in coaching circles and really started to climb the ladder quickly so to speak and you know someone that has a lot of recruiting prowess you know connects with the kids really well has gotten a lot of production out of his position group so i think both of us were kind of thinking that was going to be the likely hire so you know neither of us were surprised that they promoted from within just a little bit surprised at who they promoted from within being Bob Gregory. Because if I were to ask right. you, what were the two weak points of our team last year? What would you say? Hmm. Let me think linebackers um, and special team coverage. So then I'll follow up that question with another one. Who was the coach responsible for both of those things? Let me look it up. Hold on. Oh, it was Bob fucking Gregory. Oh, was it really shocking? That's our new defensive coordinator, everybody. So yeah, I was pretty I was pretty pissed about it. I mean, 
if I'm putting my purple lenses on right now and trying to find the silver lining here, Bob Gregory was the defensive coordinator for about 10 years at Cal when they had that great run under Jeff Tedford. And they had really good defenses under Bob Gregory. I think they, you know, on average gave up somewhere between 15 and 25 points year in, year out. Yep. Which is solid. And I think we'd all I have the numbers that. here if you want to if you want me to yeah. read them. Run it down. Yeah. So West Coast uh, CFB, they're a good good follow on Twitter as well. Good data. So Bob source. Gregory what was their what I, are you just going to read the yeah. tweet out? I guess just preface the context of like the defense that he was taking over was historically bad. Yep. It has that right here. Bob Gregory took over a Cal defense that had given up 39.2 points per game in 2001. That's not good. Real bad. Real bad. Um, think of Seahawks first half of this year. Bad, basically. And possibly even worse than that. So yeah, his points per game allowed at Cal by year. Starting in 2002 to 2009, it was eight-year run here. 26 and a half, 24.4, 16, 21.2, 19.3, 26.8, 19.9, 25 and a half. So, I mean, if you're under like 25 in college, that's pretty pretty good. That's that's, a damn good defense. That's that's a good defense. Um, Especially, I mean, this is... In some of the Pac-10 back then, their heyday. Like, you know, I mean, they had some really good USC teams back then. Cal was yeah. a really good team back then, you know. So, um, Oregon was even, honestly, like a decent team during that stretch as well. Yep. So, you had some good talent in in the conference at that, at that point. And, um, you know, he, he called a good defense and led a good defense for a number of years down in Cal. So he's definitely got experience. Again, it's a little bit outdated. He hasn't been a defensive coordinator for, you know, decade, decade and a half. So, you know, basically where I land on this is I, I really struggle with it because my biggest qualm with Bob Gregory is not whether or not he schematically knows what he's doing. I think he's, you know, been Pete, Pete Kwiatkowski's right-hand guy for a long time. I think, you know, what you like about the hire is the continuity on the staff. Everybody kind of stays. And we're going to continue running the defense that has just been elite for the Huskies the past, you know, I don't know, seven years now. And I don't think a lot of that will change. I think our scheme will stay the same. I think largely the defensive success is going to remain about the same. I don't think that this is a detrimental higher in the short term. I think that this defense, the defensive roster is relatively loaded. And I think with Jimmy Lake at the head coach position, it's going to be his defense. And, you know, we want to talk about Pete Carroll meddling with his coordinators. Rumor has it that Jimmy Lake is, you know, somewhat similar on the defensive side of the ball. And I think he's going to have a, you know, green light, red light type scenario with him and Bob Gregory in terms of play calling. So I don't think it's a disaster hire from that perspective. And this is where, you know, I want to get your initial thoughts as well, but then also get your thoughts on my biggest concern 
is with personnel in two categories. Mm-hmm. His personnel choices with the current roster have been atrocious. In 2019, we had probably the worst linebacker tandem that I can remember, and that even goes back to the he who shall not be named era, because at least he who shall not be named had you know Mason Foster, Donald Butler, both played you know long careers in the NFL. Like 2019, we trotted out two of the worst inside linebackers we've I've I've seen in recent memory for the Huskies. All the while, you had someone like Eddie Ulafosio on the roster, and it took him until the last four weeks of the season to actually put the guy in. And when he did, Eddie was lighting it up. The Oregon State game that year, I think he, you know, blew up and had nine or ten tackles and. Obviously, you know, I think he graded out this year as the best linebacker in the Pac-12. So it's like, Mm -hmm. what were you doing playing Kyler Manu and Brandon Wellington over someone like Eddie Ulafosio? And then you kind of extrapolate that into what we saw in 2020, the short season that we did have was, you know, Jackson Sermon was not getting it done. And we've, you know, on paper recruited relatively well. There's supposedly Mm -hmm. talent that we keep hearing about in the inside linebacker room, but we don't see him. Eddie Ulafosio is solid. He's good. He's going to be good again next year, but we need to figure out who's going to be good next to him. And we didn't really learn anything. Like we know what Jackson Sermon is. Like he is a below average PAC 12 inside linebacker. And so what I'm nervous about is that that is going to now potentially extrapolate across the entire defensive rotation. And you're going to see less of the young guys on the D line at outside linebacker in the defensive backfield. So I'm nervous about that from a personnel perspective. And then I'm really nervous about recruiting because I think this is a hire that doesn't build any momentum. It doesn't build any hype. And I think the rumors have been pretty well established that he's not someone that really relates and gets the kids these days very well. And he's had his struggles recruiting. And so that's what I'm most concerned about. I think from an X's and O's perspective, I think he'll be fine. I think Jimmy Lake is really going to be that guy anyways. Just doesn't feel good. Yeah. Well, we talked about, Sam, what did we want from the next hire on the last podcast, I think. And you posed the question, do you want an X's and O's guy or do you want an ace recruiter? And I know my answer was I want that ace recruiter because, and you followed that up with saying you need the dudes. Like, yeah, that's what college football is right now, especially when you're at such a talent disadvantage in the pack 12 already yeah like you need to recruit well like that that's what gets the pack 12 on the map that and larry scott getting out but that part's on in on the horizon at this point so we took care of um, hashtag fire larry scott worked you're welcome right. emerald city fandom podcast better get cred we should have started a hashtag don't hire bob gregory but that yeah that's on us that happened already so that's on us our bad our bad folks <laughs> real quick so you were talking about your concerns with his recruiting 
And I thought Jimmy Lake's press conference today was fucking ridiculous. Like he had some outlandish statements about Bob Gregory where he is just blowing smoke up his ass. And I mean, Jimmy Lake's got to be high as a fucking kite to say stuff like this. Like there's, we are looking at an alternate reality if this is truly what he believes. Okay. Yeah. So why don't you just read a couple? I mean, Jimmy Lake yeah, I'll is read the a eternal optimist, but there's shades of Pete sure. Carroll here in just terms of being absolutely like absolutely outright lying, hoping yep. that like the media and the fans don't have eyes and a brain to like understand what he's saying is not true. Lying for sure. <laughs> so Lauren Kirschman, one of the beat writers, I think for the News Tribune tweeted earlier jimmy lake's response to a question about bob gregory as a recruiter it's pretty well known that he's not a super strong recruiter and like you said sam is he's a little bit on the older side has some trouble relating to some of these like kind of this new age of college football especially yeah and you know brand likeness and all this stuff that's going to be happening in the in the next couple years so um jimmy says if you look at the inside linebacker room that's really the measure of his recruiting. And the inside linebacker room is stacked. If that's the fucking case, then why the hell is Jackson Sermon starting on this team? Or why is why are we not seeing any of the stacked talent? Right. Like, well, Eddie Lopocio is good. Yes, We haven't no seen doubt. jack Eddie... shit from anybody else. Yep. Eddie was the second best player on our defense last year, so... Second or third? Probably third. I'd third, give I guess. Molden McDuffie probably. Well, and no, then ZTF. ZTF. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I think. I think I'd put Eddie above McDuffie, but McDuffie, really? like, yes, just okay. like well, whatever. Above. Top five, hands down, for sure. Yes. Um, he had another quote here somewhere too. Sam, if you had anything else to say, I'll look for this real quick. Yeah, I have so much to say it's crazy <laughs> oh, well one one question that i had for you though real quick and you can answer this while i'm looking for this other quote so continuity is is um for a, a successful side of the ball is typically a good thing like that i don't think we argue with that at all as far yeah, as totally. coming from jimmy Lake's standpoint um that you don't fix it if it ain't broke and this defense isn't broken there's some personnel issues we think um but the talent's there the scheme is good for, and it fits the talent that's there yeah. um, and they've been successful do you believe this whole you know um him saying that like basically uh, you know th- this hire comes two two and a half weeks two two-ish weeks i guess after pete kwiatkowski yeah. um and i mean if you're internally promoting usually you you figure that out pretty quickly yeah. I mean, do you buy this narrative that Jimmy Lake is selling that he they they did their due diligence, like they're obviously like interviewed outside, and they truly believe that Bob Gregory was the best hire for them? Or do you think that they struck out on a couple of the guys that Jimmy really wanted that maybe had some NFL ties similar to like I mean, a lot of us thought that he might do something like a similar to like a John Donovan hire. If he mm-hmm. was going to go outside and have someone with NFL ties, maybe not like a super sexy name, but like someone with NFL ties that could, um, that has experience in the league because that's what 
gets kids excited these days, you know, is someone that has touched the NFL before and knows what it takes to get there. Yeah. So, I mean, do you believe that narrative that Jimmy Lake is selling? Like, I, I, I think we, I think we both agree on the whole continuity thing, but do you truly believe that he interviewed all these people and then thought that Bob Gregory was the best hire? That's hard to say. I honestly, I kind of think so. And here's why I think Jimmy Lake, at least in the college ranks is married to the defensive scheme that he and Pete Kwiatkowski have unveiled at the university of Washington and have been extremely successful with, I mean, we're talking about for almost now a decade long dominant defense year in year out under Jimmy Lake and Pete Kwiatkowski. And it's been a very unique defensive scheme as well. It's not a defensive scheme that you see a lot of other college teams employ. And Mm -hmm. So I do think that there is potential reality to the sense that he would go out and have due diligence conversations with some names in the NFL or elsewhere and come to the realization that if he was going to hire externally, that that person is going to come in with their own concept, you know, own ideas and beliefs and defensive system and potentially push back against a defensive system that Jimmy Lake, you know, lives and dies with and the college ranks. And so I think that that likely happened and, you know, in the same theme, because we do run such a unique defensive scheme, I don't think that the coaching pool, if he was going to hire externally and look Mm -hmm. specifically for someone that was going to come in and really embrace and have experience with the kind of defensive scheme we run, I think the pool of candidates is really small. Like most, most of those people are going to be people that are either already in the building or have really recently been in the building. So someone like a Jeff Choate or, you know, I guess you'd say like a Gerald Alexander, a Dante Williams, they've been in there recently and, you know, more or less would embrace the scheme that Jimmy wants to play. So I think if on the grand scheme of things, I do buy it. I do think that like, yeah, we went out and had these conversations, but we felt like it was best to really stay within the system and hire someone that really embraces this scheme that we've had success with. I think at more of a micro level, if you want to look at specific cases where he could have hired someone externally that still understood has experience with and embraces the scheme that he he runs like the names i've mentioned a jeff choate a gerald alexander and a dante williams i don't buy it and i think he probably did call those people he probably didn't call jeff choate jeff choate's kind of like a you know type a macho man guy like jimmy lake is i don't think that they would have jived very well so I don't think he called Jeff Choate. I do think that he had some sort of discovery conversations with someone like Gerald Alexander and Dante Williams. And I think they weren't interested. Yeah. And so then what do you do in that situation? You do fall back on what you currently have. And that's how we end up where we are today. So I'd say in general, I don't think that he's totally blowing smoke. 
but I do think that there is probably one or two people that he would have liked to have likely had at least show more interest and go deeper into the recruiting process. Sure. Than they actually did and ended up, you know, going the safe option, I think. And I think at the end of the day, that's what it is. I think, I, again, I don't think it's a disaster hire. Mm. I don't think the sky is falling, but it's a safe hire and it's underwhelming. Not, doesn't create buzz, doesn't, you know, nope. create any hype. And to that point, like one of the things we were talking about off mic, Connor asked me right when we hopped on, he's like, Hey, have you been following any of the current Husky players on Twitter? Like, what have they had to say about Bob Gregory? Yep. It's been silent. <laughs> I've seen people, I've seen current players tweeting out congratulation tweets to Kaika Malloy, you know, moving into the outside linebacker room. And then we should also mention that with the domino effect here. So essentially they yep. hired Bob Gregory into the defensive coordinator position. He's giving up special teams to our running backs coach, Keith Bonifa. Thank and God. He, thank God, because that he, it wasn't his thing. I think he was, you know, more or less thrust into that. I think he's probably relieved not to have to deal with it anymore. I think Husky fans should be relieved that he's not dealing with it anymore. <laughs> so Bob Gregory is now your DC and he is your inside linebackers coach. Still Kaika Malloy remains a co-defensive coordinator, but moves his position focus from defensive line to outside linebackers, which was vacated by Pete Kwiatkowski. And then we hired our defensive quality control assistant, Rip Rowan, to now be our full-time assistant coach specializing on the defensive line. And so getting back to my original point, I've seen players be active on social media and outspoken and congratulations to Akaika Malloy and Rip Rowan specifically Rip Rowan more so than even Akaika, but I haven't seen shit being said about Bob Gregory getting the promotion to DC. And that's what scares me because that's going to resonate. Not only is it not resonating apparently internally with our current team, it sure as hell isn't going to resonate with prospective student athletes that we're recruiting. And so when I say it's not a disaster hire short term, I think next year's team and likely the team after that in 2022 are going to be a lot of the same. It's going to be a good defense, but I'm nervous with recruiting and building this roster up. And as you said, like getting the dudes, I'm nervous about that. Yep. So I know I, I just went on a full rant, but hopefully that kind of gives everyone an idea of where my head's at. I don't know if you were able to find, the other quotes that Jimmy Lake was talking about that, you know, just kind of didn't, they didn't stand out as much. They didn't stand out as much to me as, as they did before. But I mean, the other thing that I, I wanted to just bring up um, and I know that Jen Cohen had a, um, uh, an interview with the dog man guys last week about kind of like the situation at UW and stuff financially and everything. And, you know, it was talked about, the DC search and if money was going to be an issue there. And I mean that internally hiring and not hiring anyone from outside also kind of screams a little bit that maybe 
there was some kind of money issue. I don't know if you feel the same way, Sam. I mean, Jimmy denied it real quick. Jen Cohen denied it real quick. But obviously, we're coming out of a pandemic, or I guess still obviously in it right now. But um, coming off of a pandemic-filled year, though, where no fans are in the stands, and that's a huge revenue builder for the athletic department as a whole is football attendance. Um, so, and, you know, I mean, the PAC 12 in general has not done super well, um, under the guidance of Larry Scott over the, especially over the past few years. So I think money for sure is an issue. Um, I don't know if you feel the same, they'll obviously never admit it, but I can't imagine that that probably wasn't a factor with maybe even not so much the people that they that they had to choose from, but maybe the reach that they had to choose from, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it definitely played a role in terms of the reach that they had. Like they weren't going to go out and be able to, you know, write a blank check and right. get another elite defensive mind. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, what it came down to was, you know, a cost benefit analysis. Like, yeah, did. It, was there an external candidate that was going to be so much better of a hire than promoting within and cost so much more or cost about the same? I don't think so. Like, I think at the end of the day, it came down to, again, I'll say it again, the safe option remote from within it's not a disaster hire it's probably going to work out in the short term and it's going to save you money and so from that perspective i do think money came into play a little bit like we obviously have money to spend we're not paying you know pete kwiatkowski i think was the highest paid coordinator in the conference last year if not one of the top five highest paid so you're saving his salary Mm -hmm. And so I think it just came down to the safe choice. It's like, okay, we can get a pretty decent hire and save some money in the meantime. Like that seems like a win-win if you're looking at it from the bean counter perspective. But I definitely think that, again, it's not going to be admitted, but I do think that there was you know, somewhat of a limit that hadn't been there pre- pre-COVID sure. in terms of, going after what we could potentially have gone after. But then again, it's like, I don't think Jimmy Lake was going outside of the scheme. And I don't think any of the potential hires that we were excited about, were going to cost any more than what we're paying Bob Gregory or what we used to pay Pete Kwiatkowski. So I don't know that it was like as big of a deal as it probably would have been in normal circumstances, but Mm -hmm. the pandemic has just permeated into everyday life into all of these decisions and to discount the fact that you know the athletic department had a really rough year financially would be foolish it for sure played some some component of the hire for sure yeah yeah i'd be hard pressed not to admit the same thing so and you can um, even carry that down to us, you know, promoting from within Rip Rowan. Like he's right. That, you know, well, that's, I mean, that was my other point is yeah. like, I mean, we didn't hire anyone from outside, right? We, we promoted everyone from within. And he's so. a cheap hire because he has no real right. power five coaching experience. 
albeit he is a pretty highly respected young coach. I think I forget the publication's name, but he made a fairly well-regarded, you know, 30 coaches under 30 Mm -hmm. a couple of years back. I think Terrence Brown was on that same list as he was. So I think there's some excitement there, really young, enthusiastic, a lot of good energy. I think Jimmy called it juice, recruiting juice. And so, you know, you look to, you know, hopefully he'll be able to make an impact in that regard, but that's a cheap hire. He's probably going to make 300 K a year. Yeah. And if you wanted to go hire a really good D line guy, it's probably $800,000. So you're saving money there for sure. So I think you, I mean, you read the tea leaves. It's pretty obvious that that had some impact on the decisions that were made. Yeah, I think most of my reactions to Jimmy's press conference today just had to do with, like we said, his his comments about Bob Gregory as a recruiter that are just don't seem true at all, um, and then just his his also his his quotes about the inside linebacker play in general, and addressing that. Uh, he was asked uh, on the inside linebacker play and if there was any issues with how they're being coached the last couple seasons, Jimmy replies, no, not at all. This last year, we were extremely excited about the way our inside linebackers played. I mean, if he's talking about Eddie specifically, sure, I buy it. But he's he's definitely talking about the position group here. So continues uh, going back and looking at the film. There's definitely some things structurally where we could have helped our whole defense out better to help them, but no, our inside linebackers were one of the strengths of our defense last year. And even the conference noticed that with voting one of one of them, all conference, that being Eddie. Eddie was good. Yes. But like, you can't say that with a straight face. You were looking at different film, dude. Eddie was the best linebacker in the Pac-12 last year. Mm-hmm. And even he couldn't cover up how bad his running mate was. Right. That's how steep the drop-off is here. But he says that the room is stacked. So if it's stacked, we should see that come to fruition. Well, Pretty shit, I sure yeah. hope it. I sure hope so. Yeah. So anyway, that was that was, I think that was the other like kind of piece of the press conference that i wanted to wanted to share and enlighten our listeners on uh our feelings about jim's yeah. press conference I mean, today and the hire it's a tough spot i mean you're a head coach you're trying to for sure he's been manipulate. dealt a bad hand oh my gosh too. as a first time head coach it's been it couldn't yeah. have been worse not only are you taking over a program from a hall of fame coach and chris peterson but mm-hmm. then you get dealt the pandemic it's something that, you know, no coach in modern history has ever had to deal with anything like this. And you get the Pac-12 leadership nightmare and how the season turned out. Then you have the COVID outbreak that derails a pretty promising season we're having. We're likely to be Pac-12 champs. I think we probably would have beat USC. Yeah. And playing in a Rose Bowl. Like, I mean, his first year of coaching could not have gone worse with the Mm -hmm. things that were more or less outside of his control. I mean, you could make an argument that the COVID outbreak may, may or may not have been under his control, but that's nor here nor there, but he's been dealt a tough hand and, you know, he knows he, he's not stupid. 
like he knows what the reaction was going to be like to this hire. And so I think in his press conference, like, what is he going to say? Like, he can't come out and just be like, oh yeah, Bob Gregory's inside linebackers have sucked ass. And like our special teams (laughs) unit has been one of the worst in the conference since he's been doing it. Like he can't say that, but at the same time, you can't be so inauthentically blindly. It was very Pete Carroll-esque. Like it was very Pete Carroll-esque, like literally just like lying to your face, like being so overly optimistic that it just seems fucking cheesy. Like you don't need to say the inside linebackers have been the strength of our defense because that's bullshit. The strength of our defense has been our defensive backs. Yep. Ever since he's been here, he should know Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But what, and there's a way to answer the question that like doesn't throw anybody under the bus you can be like, you can say something like, I've, you know, upon my analysis of the season, our inside linebackers have played well. You know, we, you know, we've, we've put an NFL linebacker, we've put linebackers into the NFL, like, you know, Azim Victor, Keyshawn Bieria had their chances. BBK is still there. He's developed the walk on and Eddie Luf- Like, there's a way to answer it. That's like, mm-hmm. hey, there are good things that he's done. Bob Gregory has done because it's true. He has done good things. You can highlight those. You don't have to go full tilt and be like, oh, yeah, Bob Gregory is the closest thing to Jesus Christ since, you know, <laughs> since Jesus Christ. Like, you don't have to say things like that. Like, you don't have to do this inauthentic, blowing him up type, you know, rah rah shit. Yeah. Yep. doesn't sit well with me at all. Oh, for sure. Well, and with our history of seeing Pete Carroll say things like that in the past too, I think yeah. we're already just rubbed the wrong way by people like that. So we'll see. I it, Again, like you said, Sam, it, it'll probably be fine, especially in the short term, like from like, just like, I mean, the C or sorry, the, the Huskies are a defensive sided team. And yeah. Jimmy Lake is a defensive sided coach. Like that's always going to be the strength of the team, I think. Yeah. And um, I think, I think the real worries, like you said, revolve around recruiting, just kind of like more long-term worries. Maybe Bob Gregory is only here for a couple years as a defensive coordinator. And I mean, he's getting older. Maybe he, this is like his swan song and ends up, being kind of the DC for a couple of years. And then we promote from within again. And Nakaika ends up taking over at that point or something. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but I, I think it's probably too early to say that like we're doomed or anything like that, but um, it for sure, it was just a very underwhelming hire and it wasn't exactly um, what was I was, the news that I was hoping to wake up to today. Yeah. It was a missed opportunity to make a strong, potentially risky, but high upside pick. This is a very safe and low upside pick. Mm -hmm. I think the best case scenario with Bob Gregory as defensive coordinator is that play calling schematically, things stay the same. You see relatively the same, you know, significantly above average borderline elite defense in 2021 and 2022. And then I think once, you know, unless the assistants can really make up some slack in the recruiting world, 
I think you're going to start to see this defense slowly decline in 2023, 2024, assuming Bob Gregory's still around at that point. And it just feels like a little bit of a missed opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Especially from just like the recruiting standpoint. So like you said earlier, just. Which again, it's like Jimmy Lake is going to be heavy handed in the defense. Like, I think this is, you know, reiterating my answer from a previous episode is like, we don't need an X's and O's defensive coordinator. This is Jimmy Lake's defense. He's going to run the show on defense. He always likely will, at least during his time here. You know, if you want to use Jimmy Lake's own words, let's go get some recruiting juice. We didn't do that. I think Rip Mm -hmm. Rowan, you know, sounds like he might be able to bring some of that. Would love to see it, but it would be nice to have a defensive coordinator that really, you know, generated some buzz. And for sure. This one doesn't. It doesn't. Nope. Nope, not at all. So we'll have obviously plenty more to talk about in the offseason here um, for the Huskies and for the Seahawks for that matter. But this was this was probably the biggest news to come this offseason, um, at least until spring ball. Um, I think the biggest thing that could come in between then is if any kind of transfer portal things happen. So we'll keep you updated on that front. But let's touch on dogs in the NFL real quick. We do have a couple dogs that are playing in the Super Bowl and playing for the Bucs. So they're on Tom Brady's team. So if you're not rooting for Tom Brady, then you're technically, I guess, not rooting for these dogs. I get it. But Vita Vea and Jadon Mickens are are both on the Bucs and both playing. So they actually will be on the field in the Super Bowl. I think Benning Potawai is also on the team, but he's – on like a reserve list so he won't be suiting up for for the super bowl but he is on the bucks technically is he on a reserve i know he got called up late in the season he got called up like like yeah like week 16 but then he was he was on the the reserves again i think this last week as well so anyway um so yeah it'll be exciting to see a couple dogs on the field um if nothing else during the super bowl and i'll definitely be keeping my on a eye on uh Big number 50, right? Is Vita, I think he's number 50. Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't remember what number Jadon is, but he'll, he'll be returning punts mostly. So be looking for him on whenever the Chiefs are, ch- are punting the ball if they ever punt the ball. Yeah. A <laughs> um, couple other notes here, though. Obviously, like those are kind of the only guys that are going to that are left in the tournament at this point, but some guys that are going to be going pro Keith Taylor had a really good senior bowl week um, and capped it off with a really good, really strong showing in the senior bowl game as well. So I think his draft stock is definitely rising. This is another thing that we'll touch on kind of as we near the draft is definitely some, some dogs that are going to get drafted this year and where they're getting picked at going and stuff. Um, so we'll, we'll have plenty more to talk about as that approaches. I know Levi Onzarike also took play, took part in the senior bowl week, um, but he ended up getting hurt, I think in one of the practices, or at least, I don't know if, I don't think it was a serious injury, but he got banged up and banged up enough that he didn't participate in the game. Yeah. So a little disappointing to see that, but it sounded like he was killing it on the first day or two before yeah. he got hurt. So 
some good showings from the dogs. Um, I think Elijah Molden was invited to it. I don't think he participated, so I don't know if there's some kind of injury thing going on or what there. Yeah. But, um, anyway, that'll be something to keep our eye on as well. Um, I know that uh, I think Todd McShay, this isn't on our notes, Sam, but I know Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper both released their like mock draft 1.0s, I think this last week. And they had a couple dogs going at the end of the first round, um, both Joe Tryon and then Levi going yeah. as late first round picks. Kind of, I think it was like the last two picks of the of the first round in one of their drafts. I can't remember. So we'll see. I mean, that'd be that'd be pretty cool to get a couple first round picks out of these out of these guys, especially if it ends up being Joe Tryon and Levi, who obviously like missed them this year, but it was a season that really didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So it'd be cool to see them like kind of have, you know, they made the right decision by focusing on the draft and, you know, becoming more prepared for, for that event. Um, and still obviously have, they both have great tape and they seem yeah. to be testing well and in great shape right now for all the scouts to watch them. So um, it'd be, it'd be cool to see, see a couple dogs in, in the first round and we'll see where Elijah sits. I think that'll probably be a second or third round pick and he Taylor could be right in there too. I mean, he's, he's shooting up, he's I shooting up, man. Base. I mean, he played so well through all practice, so consistently well through practices and then showed out in the game. Yeah. With his, in, with his, you know, right. And weight and speed and movement yeah. and fluidity i don't know that if he shows out at the combine i wouldn't put it past him sneaking his way into the first round either dude like there's just yeah. nobody else i in the hope draft. he lasts i hope he lasts to the second round because the seahawks don't have a first round pick and we're gonna need, need a corner him. seahawks need so. him he'd be a great fit for the way that would you rather him. would you rather have keith or would you rather have elijah for our defense, I'd rather have Keith. Me too. Because I love Elijah, Elijah more, but I would I would rather have Keith. We play too many three linebacker sets, so Elijah and then Elijah's the best. Not as much this last year though. Yeah. I just I'd be I'd be nervous about not I get it. I would rather see Elijah go somewhere that's really gonna embrace what he does really well. Well I think if I th- I mean I think if we drafted him, he would for sure like play a pretty big role on the defense like i think we would yeah. change we we would change things up so that he was going to be featured yeah. but yeah to your point i, you I know, probably I, would go i think keith Taylor. i think keith is the better fit and he's i think the better long-term play as far as like we, we need that we need yeah. an outside corner right now like that's the bigger need than a, a slot guy because yeah. you look at or a nickel guy i should say you look at i mean we we had um Ugo Amadi and he he played well. And then you also have, I mean, who was supposed to start? Marquise Blair was supposed to start there. And yeah. everyone is raving about him still. He's obviously coming off of a huge injury, season-ending injury early in the season this last year. So we'll see how he comes back as far as health standpoint. But I think there's some depth at that at that nickel spot. It's really that outside corner spot, especially yeah. likely with with Shaquille heading out the door. You might have DJ Reed on one side. Maybe you bring back Quentin Dunbar, but there's just a lot. I mean, you're risking a lot if those are the two guys that you're going into the season with. I think you're going to have to draft a corner pretty high. Yeah, and I think Keith Taylor fits the Richard Sherman mold really well. 
long yep. physical Bigger. corner. Yep. And, you know, we haven't really seen Keith Taylor intercept a lot of balls. I think he has some room to grow in terms of making plays on the ball, but he's a damn sure. good cover corner. Mm-hmm. He's a good tackler, good in run support. He's a fit plays a physical brand of football. I think he'd be a great fit. I think he's definitely going to be somebody high on the Seahawks list just with the premium that we place on physical tools. He's got arguably the best physical tools of a lot of the corners available. So yeah. I'd be interested to see that and just like keeping with the dogs in the NFL potentially going to the NFL. I don't know if official NFL combine invites have gone out, but when they do, it'll be really interesting to see how these dogs show out. I mean, at this point I'd anticipate Keith Taylor probably played himself into a invite with his showing this past weekend. I think Levi and Joe Tryon and Molden are shoe ins to get in an invite. And I think these guys are going to, perform really well in that setting i think someone like joe tryon is going to be physically impressive Mm -hmm. i think he's going to only continue to rise i think keith taylor is going to be physically impressive and continue this momentum that he built i think levi everybody kind of knows how physically impressive he is we missed him so much this year dude we missed him so much yeah we him and tryon both i mean tryon's ability to hold the edge and yeah yeah, I think we Levi's just interior. ability to get off a block like yeah. in the interior was just missed. I feel like both guys could they could hold a block, but they couldn't get off a block, at least not quick enough. Yeah, so, for sure. Anyway. So I think it'll be fun to watch and see what these guys can do. I think you'll definitely see all five of them get drafted, right? Yeah, Keith Taylor, Levi, Elijah, four of them at least get There's drafted. There's four, I think, that I can think of, yeah. So it'll be fun to watch. I'm I'm hopeful that all four of them get invited to the combine because I, I think they'll do some exciting things there. Yeah. No, I I'd be I think I'd be pretty surprised at this point if they didn't all four. Just that uh, I think Keith Taylor was the one that was on the outside looking in. Yeah. And he's I mean, he's coming off one of the strongest weeks at the senior bowl. And if we know anything about the senior bowl, it's been a pretty good indicator for success um with Jim Nagy down there, former, former, you know, John Schneider's right-hand man kind of guy. So he's, he was involved with the Seahawks organization for a couple of years back in the day. So yeah, pretty, uh, pretty fun stuff that, that, you know, I mean, it's obviously off season and we'd rather be watching games, but there's plenty of stories to talk storylines to talk about in the off season. So we'll keep, we'll keep talking, talking, uh, you know, dogs and, and Hawks over the off season, but there are some, other things coming up obviously uh both the mlb and mls seasons are you know somewhat around the corner i know the mls season is a little bit in disarray they're not sure when that's going to exactly start they have a start date i think of like april 4th or something right now but there's also some bickering going on between the players union and the MLS themselves. Um, and that, that will likely get pushed back is what I'm hearing. MLB is kind of a little bit in the same situation, but it's the MLB that actually wants to push it back a month and the players want to play as scheduled. So we'll see what happens there. Um, spring training is 
around the corner if they go on as scheduled, which it would be basically at the end, I think, of February, end of this month. So pretty crazy. Um, I did want to note real quick that uh, the ownership group for the Kraken and, you know, Tim like Ty, Tim Lywicki, Sam, the kind of like lead dude, yep. uh, lead dude of the ownership group for, title, for the Kraken. Lead dude. Lead dude. Yeah. The dude, <laughs> the dude abides. Um, <laughs> no, uh, he actually had an interesting quote earlier. I probably should find it, but he said, he actually mentioned, I think, I think, it, I think he said this. Um, I'll try to do this without looking it up. I'm pretty sure he said that our job is not finished until the NBA returns to Seattle. So we talked, we talked about, you know, a couple episodes ago that there's some, there's some smoke to this storyline that the NBA could be on its way back to the Pacific Northwest, specifically the Emerald city. So we'll see what happens. Um, we'll definitely keep you guys updated, obviously on any kind of news that comes out for that. It's been decently quiet since kind of like silver commissioner silver said, you know, that they're, they're, dusting off the expansion you know stuff that they had and plans that they had so um i'm i'm hopeful uh, you know i mean it it's one of those things i think sam you said it last time we'll see it when we actually we'll, we'll believe it when we actually see it but um you know there's there's certainly some smoke right now yeah. i think there's there's definitely some momentum and trajectory seems positive for something happening in the next few years so we'll We'll see what happens. Again, we'll keep you guys updated on that. Sam, you have anything else to share with our listeners? I think that probably wraps most of everything up, though. I just finished my glass of this Trader Joe's blended scotch whiskey, and it was delicious. So please <laughs> don't let that price tag scare you away. Do your wallet a favor and give it a shot. Next time I'm at TJ's, maybe I'll pick one up, pick a bottle up just to corroborate just yeah just to explore and get my opinion on it and then you know coming from someone who's in the industry maybe their listeners will that'll carry a little bit more weight i think i think you'll actually agree with you i think you will like it i don't have i don't have the most refined palate for you know someone that works in the liquor industry i'm i can you're too you're too humble i drink rolling rock dude like i mean i'm not yeah but you're trying to be fancy rolling rock is Rolling Rock is beer. I think when it comes to hard liquor and and liqueurs, you're pretty dialed in. I have my favorites. I have my go-tos for sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, we'll have plenty more drinking to talk about on the next episode. But anyway, thanks for listening, folks. As always, we appreciate the support. Subscribe and follow if you haven't already. Leave us a message on that anchor link in our description. And until next time. Go Hawks and go dogs.